0: There are a lot of things that are near and dear to the heart of the Lord. Reading the Bible and praying and coming to church and tithing and, and the local church and, and a lot of things that we could talk about. But this business of sharing our faith, I think Calvary proves how important it is to the Lord, don't you? The fact that God did so love the world. That he gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And letting people know that they can know for sure they're going to heaven when they die. But it's not by their good works. It's by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and Calvary's cross. It's by a change of mind about our sin, turning to Christ, placing all of our faith and all of our trust in Him. We're going to look at some final thoughts on sharing our faith.
1: The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience, and now, here's Pastor Skeving.
0: Let's take our Bibles, please, at this time, and turn to the last book of the Bible, and the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, and we're going to be looking at, really, um, one of the last things mentioned in the Bible, you know, last things are Very important, aren't they? And last things said are extremely important. Last words. And so we find these words in Revelation 22, beginning in verse number 16. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. We've been talking about sharing our faith with others. We've been talking about the very thing spoken of here, giving that invitation to people to come, to come to Christ. And so we're going to be dealing with it, at least last time here today as we talk about some practical thoughts on sharing our faith, some practical thoughts on sharing our faith. How important is one's soul? I came home late last night, walked in the door, and my little grandson, just a few months old, was there and Grandma was doting over him along with his auntie, and I kind of muscled in and took over and grabbed him and went into the other room and, and uh, sat there and smiled at him, and he smiled at me, and I smiled more, and he smiled more. And, and I thought to myself, a year ago, I didn't even know him. He was a non entity, if you will. And now I wouldn't give him up for anything. There's not enough money in the world. I'd, I'd give away everything I have, everything I've worked all my life for, for him. He's that valuable. You know, if we really could, could calculate the value of one soul in the eyes of God, it would blow us away. You know, one soul is, is priceless. Absolutely priceless. Now, we find as the Bible is closing down, since Genesis 1-1, there's bloodshed, there's atonement, there's, there's the gospel being given, and, and invitations to come to Christ just all over the place, pictured in the Old Testament and realized in the New Testament. But it's kind of like the Spirit of God has to just one last time drive it home. And He does in our text here. Christ Himself is speaking in verse 16. And then in verse 17, it says, And the Spirit and the Bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst, come. And then whosoever will. It's like if one of those didn't relate to you, whosoever will. Let him take the water of life freely. We're going to look at some final thoughts on sharing our faith. Several things quickly. The first is what I call the directive of sharing our faith. The, the directive, the objective, if you will, or the intention. Would you turn back to the Gospel of John in the fourth chapter, John chapter 4. What is the directive? What is our objective or our intention in sharing our faith? Back in 1987, we'd only been here a few months in Fargo, and a, a nationally known evangelist actually came to Fargo here and held a crusade up at the bison field and thousands attended. The governor opened it up and uh, he preached and, and the invitation was given. The, the evangelist preached and, 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 and a lot of people flocked down forward and, and a number made professions of faith. And, and we can look at things like that and we could say, you know, that's the way to do it. We, we can hear the stories of old about the evangelists like Dale Moody who, who held meetings around the world and thousands came to Christ and we could say, that's the only way to do it. You know, I think of Billy Sunday. Uh, back in the early 1900s, I think Brother Benham has pictures or somebody showed me pictures of a tabernacle that they actually built in town here and Billy Sunday preached here and a lot of people responded. And we say, oh well, boy, that's, that's where it's at, you know. And we give that accolades, we give that kudos, and, and, and I'm, not, I'm not poo-pooing that, but, but the bottom line is the direct of really in sharing our faith is just one by one, one by one. Yes, Jesus preached to the multitudes, that couldn't be helped, <laughs> they followed them all over the place. They wanted food sometimes, they wanted miracles sometimes. But actually, I find my Savior most of the time focusing on one in the chapter before this. One guy, Nicodemus. Maybe that one person was the rich young ruler. That one person was a a Zacchaeus or or a woman taken in adultery. Maybe that one person was the demoniac of Gadara or maybe right at the very end even, that thief on the cross, he's still dealing with one person. But when I think of his individual witnessing and soul winning and and sharing of faith, if you will, I think of this gal here in John chapter four. We pick it up in verse number three. It says in He, that's Christ, left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. We can just skip over that and miss really what it's saying. He he knew there was somebody lost in Samaria. He had to go there. He must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. By the way, it still is. Jesus therefore being wearied with his journey sat thus on the well and it was about the sixth hour about noon and there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her give me to drink. Now that's what starts it all. Give me to drink. And then this theological discussion ensues following that and it comes down to verse 16. Jesus saith unto her go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. And that sayest thou truly. What's he doing here? He's getting to her sin problem. Following verse she said, I perceive you're a prophet. And he dealt with her uh, and her sin. We pick it up in verse number 27. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no man said... What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? See, the disciples didn't get it yet, the value of a soul, the importance of a soul, even a Gentile or a a half-breed like this gal. Well, in verse 28, the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man, which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. Then you see more get saved and more follow. But our Savior here dealt with one. And folks, very practical thing to keep in mind as you share your faith. The directive is just one person. Because sometimes we can look at the need worldwide and we can say, oh, we, we got to reach all these folks. There's seven billion people in the world. I was in Europe last week and there's just people everywhere. And sometimes you just throw up your hands, you shake your head and you just, you say, what's the use? But the directive is just one person. In Acts chapter 8, we won't turn there, but we find Philip, the evangelist, and man, he's in this area of Samaria again, and and there's all kinds of people getting saved, and he's kind of coming in and and getting fruit from what Christ had, I think, kicked off here in John chapter 4, and there's all these folks there that that are wanting it, and guess what God does? He plucks Philip up out of that group, and he takes him over into this desert land where there's just one guy coming through in a chariot. There we see again the value of one in Acts 8. In Acts 9, we see again the value of just one soul. His name is Saul of Tarsus. Well, I'll tell you what, that one reaps some fruit, didn't it? In Acts chapter 10, the next chapter, just one man, Cornelius. By the way, I find it ironic that you find an African man led to Christ in Acts 8. You find a Jewish man led to Christ in Acts 9. And you find this European or this Gentile by the name of Cornelius led to Christ in Acts chapter 10. But it's just one, and the directive is just one. Folks, let's just focus on one person at a time. Notice, if you would, in Acts chapter 20, this, this principle. As I, as I follow Paul around through the book of Acts, I find him just going to one person at a time. You know, Paul just kind of wandered around witnessing the folks. We had a guy in our campus ministry years ago, and well, I'll tell you what, a lot of fruit and fruit. Really, what he did is he just wandered around and talked to folks about their soul up on the campus. And he found people, some of you as a result of that. Now, Paul did that. Paul would wander down to Riverside, and he'd find a Lydia. He'd go into a marketplace. He'd find a Tychicus. Uh, he, would, he would go up on Mars Hill, and he'd find some more guys up there. He was just always wandering around, milling around. If I was a missionary, that's what I would do. I would just, I would just like Paul did. Mill around, try and find folks. But we find here in Acts chapter 20 something else that Paul did. Notice he speaks of it in verse number 20. He says, And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice he speaks of teaching them publicly, that's milling around in the crowd, and going house to house. That is scriptural. By the way, we had, I guess on talk radio, some hullabaloo today about our church taking tracks house to house. Well, it's scriptural. It's scriptural here. You say, well, pastor, that's such a slow method. Got to be something faster. Let's do these mail-outs, and I'm not against that. Let's do this radio thing. Let's let's just mass evangelize, and not against any of that. That's all fine. But what that is, is more of an aerial assault and kind of a, you know how you, you soften up, those of you in military, you soften up the enemy before you go in with the boots on the ground. And really, that's what those kind of things do. But I find it one person at a time, folks. You say, well, Pastor, uh, what about, you know, Peter, you know, on the day of Pentecost? He preaches and, and 3,000 get saved. Boy, we, we give that a, the, the kudos and the accolades as well, don't we? But you could win 3,000 people to Christ every single day and the current population of this world being 7 billion. You know how long it would take you to reach the world at 3,000 souls a day? 6,000 years. They'd all be dead by that time, wouldn't they? And a lot of other folks would be dead by that time. But if you took just one person, you led them to Christ, and you discipled them for a year, and now there's two of you, and, and you two went out and found uh, another person each and won them to Christ and discipled them, now there's four of you. And then you four go out and do the, the same thing, and it turns to eight people the next year, and then 16, then 32, then 64, and 128, and 256, and 512, and it, it just keeps doubling every year. You know that in 35 years, you could reach the world. Not 6,000. So there's really a a better way. We're not going to improve on God's way. That's where you find the much fruit. The much fruit. One on one. One at a time. And that fruit is going to be another Christian. Just like apples produce apples and melons produce melons and grapes produce grapes. Christians produce Christians. That's what God wants us to do. We see the directive first of all. Secondly, we see the doubt. the, The hindrances if you will. What is it that hinders us from sharing our faith? You know, some folks say, well, I just don't have the personality for it. Well, it's not really a personality thing, is it? It's not a matter of your personality or my personality. Some would say, well, I I don't know what to say. Well, there's a cure for that too as well. We can get educated in other areas, can't we? We can learn other things, can't we? And, and so we can know what to say. Somebody would say, well, it's fear. I'm, I'm afraid of sharing my faith. And I understand that. I think most of us are. But the fear of man can bring a snare. You know, Christ said, fear not him that can kill the body and then after do no more. But fear him who can cast both body and soul into hell. Jesus also added, who serves ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of him. Those are sobering words. And so we have to overcome that fear. There's, a, there's another hindrance, though, and that is, basically, I don't know how to. I don't know how to do it. Well, we have helps for that, don't we? We have the seven steps to God, and you can take those. And by the way, I just read on the prayer list of our missionary over in Africa, Brother Johnson. He emailed me this um, yesterday of a dear lady who had gotten saved over there. He's just using the seven steps to God. I was talking to Frank, uh, our missionary to Russia, home as of late, just last weekend, and And I said, what are you using over there? He told me of several people he'd he'd led to the Lord and gotten saved. He said, I'm just using seven steps. They even work in Russian, okay? And so we have the tools. It's just really just the Word of God. You say, well, okay, but how do I lead up to it? That's really the hard part, isn't it? You know, maybe just to let them know, and this is something most people do not know, but to let them know that, that according to the Bible, First John 5, 13, these things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. It normally blows people away that you can know you're going to heaven. And so to just say, did you know that according to the Bible, you can know for sure you're going to heaven when you die? Huh? Really? I thought you had to die. and You know, hopefully find out that your good outweighs your bad. No, the Bible says you can know now. And now you're off and running. You have a, a, a springboard in, into the plan of salvation from there. Map out your Bible if you have to. Simply put next to the verse you're using the next verse you're going to go to. And when you get to that verse, uh, have next to that verse the next verse you're going to go to. By the way, I have a CD that I taught years ago, How to Lead Someone to Christ. If you're really serious about doing it, uh, you can learn. But the main thing is to try. It's to try. We find a fellow over in Matthew 25 that is given a talent, his Lord leaves, and when he comes back, he makes excuses, but the bottom line is, he didn't even try. I call him the man who would not try, who would not even try. I was uh, in, in uh, Budapest last week. There's this uh, building called the House of Terror. And, and what it is, it's not a haunted house. It's, it's really a house that they used during the Nazi regime and then even the communist regime that followed. And it just some awful atrocities went on and there. And, and, and I thought as I was walking through this of an illustration i told many years ago involving a communist by the name of Leon Trotsky. And many of you recognize that name. He was one of the seven... Main men in the Bolshevik Revolution that took place back in 1917 where the, the Marxist Revolution took place and they overthrew the Tsar Russia and, and brought communism into uh, Russia and then the Soviet Union. And really, this was the man who engineered it. He was the founder of the Red Army. And, and the stuff that went on there in that House of Terror was just awful under the hands of the communists. But the saddest part is that Leon Trotsky lived for some time in New York City growing up. With a Christian family, born again Christian family, who never once told them about Christ, never once shared their faith with Him. And so, really, we we just have to try, we just have to speak up. Something like, would you ever be interested in doing a Bible study with me? You know, your, your neighbor just might be interested in doing that. We don't have to doubt, we don't have to fear. Christ said all power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. He said that just before given the great commission, didn't he? And so we don't have to fear. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We see the directive. We see the doubt. Thirdly, we see the distractions. I guess at least 90% of all folks never lead anyone to Christ. That is Christians. And mostly because we don't try. And, and the reason is we think we have to Win them to Christ to be successful, right? Well, i failed if they don't get saved. I mean, the Bible does say, he that winneth souls is wise. Yeah, it says that in Proverbs. But it's it's speaking of a byproduct, wisdom, that comes with the person who witnesses. And so the the term soul winning can be misleading. Actually, look in Acts. You're there already. Turn to chapter 1. And and let's see what Christ actually called it in Acts chapter 1. He's about to send up to heaven, and we find these words in verse number 8 as he's talking to his disciples, to his church. He says, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be so winners unto me. No? No, he doesn't say that, does he? Ye shall be witnesses unto me. He says, starting in Judea or Jerusalem, then in Judea and then in Samaria, and under the uttermost part of the earth. He calls it witnesses, folks. Okay, <clears throat> I, I understand the whole soul winning thing, but really, we just need to witness. We just need to tell others. We need we need to share our faith. We just need to be part of the process, if you will. They say that the average insurance salesman will make forty five contacts to find twelve people who will let them take let him take them through his spiel and out of those 12 he finds two that sign on the dotted line so he'll go through nearly 50 people to find those two but he does it look in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 our lord just said be witnesses be be part of the process You might only be a part of that person coming to Christ. You might not even know if they ever got saved. But do your part. God does the saving. We know that. We're just part of the process. Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and in verse number 6, Paul says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. See what it's saying here? You might just be one of the links in the chain of this person coming to Christ. Just part of the process. Uh, but let's just do our part. I went to a funeral a few months ago of, of a fellow who I I knew from the beginning when I first got saved. Name was Chuck. And He's with the Lord now, but uh, you talk about a real witness for Christ. Deputy sheriff most of his life for the county and witness to everybody. And boy, at that funeral, there were just cop cars all over the place and policemen all over the place. And I knew this. I knew Chuck had witnessed to him. Chuck was a witness, but he didn't win a whole lot of people to Christ. But I'll guarantee you he's, he's gone to his reward now. So the first distraction that we often find is that, well, we've got to lead them to Christ to be successful. No, that's not true. That's not true. The second distraction is what I call the cares of this world. Now I'm not talking about sin but I'm just talking about you know things that choke the word that it become unfruitful and I know there's a way to to take that but I think of of January 1987 when the church started here and how simple the ministry was at that time. How simple it was. We had this little building and uh and all I had to do was just go out and talk to folks and and uh, invite folks to church or lead people to Christ. And then it was so simple. It got, it got so complex after that. There were more buildings built. There were radio stations started. There were Bible colleges. There was just ministries. There was bylaws. There was all this stuff. Stuff that Paul didn't have to mess with, quite honestly. Didn't have to mess with it. And, and, and those things, though they're necessary, can become such a distraction. Look in Revelation chapter 2. There's a verse here that I've thought of so many times as I've read it. You know, in the early days of of Fargo Baptist Church, I went calling every single day. Uh, If I was in town, I was seldom out of town. Even Sundays. I'd preach Sunday morning, I'd go and I'd talk to folks about their soul on Sunday afternoon. And 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 we had visitors, we had professions of faith, but you know, in time things bogged down. And this verse here in Revelation 2. it it, it may be describing exactly what can happen. In verse number two, Christ addresses the church at Ephesus. He says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and thou hast tried them which say they're apostles and are not, hast found them liars and hast borne and hast patience and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Now, there's a whole lot of speculation about what this is. And it could be a number of things. But perhaps, just perhaps, they were doing all this other stuff and taking care of business. But what about the business of souls? You know, I, I know this. That was, that was at least one of my first love. If not my first love, I love the Lord. I love the church. I love the Bible. I love a number of things. But, but boy, I... I had a heart for going out and telling people about what I'd found. And maybe Christ is saying to them, you had that. But that love has, has dwindled. My prayer is, is that God will give me 20 more years here. I, I, I'd really like to make it an even 50. Lord willing, that's up to Him. We have a good staff. I have good health. <coughs> but anyway, I want, spend, I want to spend the next 20 years going after souls. Souls. And I want to labor alongside of you, labors together. The Bible talks about that as far as reaching them and discipling them. By the way, I don't plan on retiring, so I don't know what to do after that 20, maybe another 20. And and maybe when I'm too old to to, to get up and, and ring the bell, I can just do outreach. And I can keep discipling. I can keep pointing people to Christ. That's what I want to do. You know, Romans chapter 1, we find Paul say this, I'm debtor both to the Greeks and the barbarians and the Jews, and he's talking about the debt he owed them to reach them with a gospel that somebody had reached him with. You know, Ezekiel talks about us having blood on our hands, that debt thing. We, we have a debt, folks. If somebody's brought the gospel to us, we, we owe it to others to bring the gospel to them. I don't want blood on my hands. Back in 19, I think it was 64 in the borough of New York, there was a, a, a lady, a young lady, I think early 20s by the name of Kitty, Kitty Geno, Genovese, I think her name was, and on her way home from work late at night, she was stabbed outside her apartment, and as she was laying there, she, she, was, she was crying out for help. The attacker left, and she was crying for help, and nobody came to help her. Forty minutes later, the attacker came back and finished off the job. And afterwards, they went around to the neighbors and they said, "Didn't you hear cries? Didn't you hear the, the screams as she's being?" And, and they found forty people that knew what was going on out there, but they didn't want to get involved. That's sad, and that's sad. God help us not to have that. Well, I don't want to get involved. Attitude. I, I I believe that's what it's speaking of. What's spiritually the blood on our hands? We see the directive. We see the doubt. We we see the distractions, and finally and quickly, we see the demand. We see the demand. I was in Africa in January, and I'm I'm telling you, there's just people all over there. There's such a demand. Europe last week, such a demand. Look in Luke chapter 15, if you would. There are so many lost people. Where do we start? Where do we start? D.L. Moody years ago said he had a dream, and God in the dream told him, Moody, you're a lifeboat. There's people floating in the water all over the place drowning. Just try and get as many in the lifeboat as you can before they die. And, and sometimes it feels that way. But again, back to just that one. In in Luke 15 and in verse number seven, Jesus says, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner. Notice one sinner that repenteth. Joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. God keeps making that emphasis with that one thing. You know, the gal loses one coin. Still got nine, but she goes after that one. Guy loses one sheep, still has 99, but has to go after that one. There's something about the power of one. Just going after that one. Several years ago, my family and I were in uh, Branson, Missouri, and they have a museum down there. The Titanic, I don't know if you've been to it or not, I'm really a, a Titanic, uh, I guess I read up on it, hate to say a fan of it, it it's not something you're a fan of, but, but uh, they give you these tickets as you go in of, of the names, actual tickets, replicate tickets of the passengers. And, and so we're getting tickets and my daughters are getting little girl tickets that were on there. My wife's getting a woman's. And I get this ticket and on it it says John Harper. And, and I, I think to myself, I know that name. I've used that name in illustration before. John Harper was a Baptist preacher. And was this a coincidence? I don't know. But a Baptist preacher from England and was on the Titanic along with his daughter coming over the, the States to preach over here when the Titanic went down. He went down with it and died in the chilly waters of the Atlantic. But before he did, he swam from person to person, whoever he could, before he was overcome with hypothermia and witnessed to them. Years later, in Hamilton, Canada, there was a man who showed up at a service and afterwards they were given testimonies and he gave his name and he said, I was on the Titanic the night it went down. Somehow I ended up on the top side of an overturned piece of wood and And he said, this man swam up to me, and he said, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? And this man said, no, I don't. And John Harper witnessed to him, and that guy got saved there with two miles of ocean beneath him out in the middle of the Atlantic. He called upon the Lord and was born again. He said that night at that meeting, I believe I'm John Harper's last convert. He went down witnessing. Now, where do we start? Where do we start? You know, I, I preached on this subject a few weeks ago and one of our dear ladies in the church started on her way home, stopped at the grocery store. She went west here and, and uh, gave a tract to the, the lady who, who checked on her and gave a tract to the young man who bagged the groceries and, and they both received them and she's been witnessing since. That's where we start. Just telling others. You know, um, Schofield, C.L. Schofield, Famous for his Bible. Maybe some of you have the Schofield Reference Bible. He was an attorney years ago. He had a, a businessman who was a friend of his. Uh, C.L. Schofield was lost and, and really a, a hopeless alcoholic. And, and this businessman witnessed to him and he said, Why aren't you a Christian? Schofield said, Well, you know the problem I have with alcohol. He said, You're not answering my question. Why aren't you a Christian? And Schofield hung his head and he said, Well, I guess nobody's ever asked me that question until now. Can you imagine that? Nobody had asked him. There are a lot of things that are near and dear to the heart of the Lord. Reading the Bible and praying and coming to church and tithing and, and at the, the local church and, and a lot of things that we could talk about. But this business of sharing our faith, I think Calvary proves how important it is to the Lord, don't, don't, don't you? The fact that God did so love the world. He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And letting people know that they can know for sure they're going to heaven when they die. But it's not by their good works. It's by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and Calvary's cross. It's by a change of mind about our sin, turning to Christ, placing all of our faith and all of our trust in him. Jesus said in Luke 19.10, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Oh, he did miracles, he set a great example, he raised dead people, and and he educated the masses and all that, but that's not why he came. He told us he came to seek and save that which is lost. There's a verse quickly, I'll just quote it to you here in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's why he came into the world. So the time is now. The time is now for us to witness, for us to share our faith. God says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, right? You've read that in the Bible. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Is that one soul that important? Well, if it's yours, it is, isn't it? If it's mine, it is. I'm so glad somebody witnessed to me. Back when I was in the seventh grade, we studied world history and And uh, I learned about the Holocaust, the Jewish Holocaust in World War II. I'll never forget as a little boy looking in the history book and seeing the pictures of the bulldozers uh, pushing these piles of bodies into the mass graves and thinking, oh, my soul, how could that go on? As they were emptying the the Jewish ghettos of Europe and and sending them to the concentration camps, and by the millions, they they were gassing them to death and putting them in the ovens cremating the, the bodies after that. And I heard about all this, and I, I never forgot it. When I got saved, I, I got a newfound love for the chosen people, the Jewish race. Of course, I've always loved history. When I was in Europe a, a week ago this past Saturday, we got a chance. We were near enough to go, go see the, the Auschwitz concentration camp uh, linked to Birkenau, which between the two, about a mile and a half and apart, a million and a half, nearly a million and a half Jews were, were put in the gas chambers and then in the, the crematorium. And, and we, you can still see where the, the, the horrible barracks were, where the bunks were. We walked alongside them. I, I put my hands on them where, where they would sleep seven across. I put my hands on the railroad tracks. As, as, as they brought them in, they're never going to leave that place. The crematoriums were bombed, but they're still there. The Germans tried to hide the, 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 the evidence I was walking through all this, and it's life-changing, I'm telling you. Shortly before the, the Nazis began all this, there was a Jewish woman who immigrated to New York City. And there she lived for some time, but her family perished. Her, her siblings all perished. Her, her parents perished. Her grandparents all perished. But she survived here, and, and she married and had children, and, and they grew up and they had children. And her grandson living in Vermont when he was probably in his mid to late teens, was witnessed to one day by a girl in his his class. He was an atheist before that. Jewish young man, but an atheist. He got saved because of the witness of that classmate. That man stood in this pulpit Sunday night and preached to you folks. Did you know that? See how it all ties together? I, I mean, you, you, really, number one, if his grandmother had not gotten out, and secondly, if his classmate had not witnessed to him, he would not be serving the Lord right now. Just one soul. There's one thing we can't do in heaven. That's hard to believe. You say, oh, man, we can do everything in heaven. At his right hand, there's pleasure forever. No, there's one thing we cannot do in heaven, and that is share our faith with others. In Daniel chapter 12, it mentions that those who turn many to righteousness shall shine as the stars forever and ever. In Proverbs 30, it says, he that winneth souls is wise. In Psalm 126, it mentions the joy of the soul winner. And the question is, where do we fit in at this time in history? May God give us the grace to share our faith.
1: You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.